FM Breakfast Show with the Double L Team, Lyle and Lawson. And welcome to the Breakfast Show. This morning you are joined by Lawson and not Lyle. No, lies. I'm definitely not Lyle. Yeah, you are, and I'm, I'm glad you're not Lyle. That would, that would be kind of weird if you walked into the studio and you were like, hi, I'm Lyle, and I'd be like... <laughs> no, I'm not having an identity crisis. I'm definitely Mon. <laughs> definitely, Monica. Thank you for joining us this morning, Monica. Monica, what are you grateful this morning? Oh, I'm doing some house sitting at the moment, and I have the cutest little dog to look after, and I love her so much. And the thing that I'm really grateful for is how she wags her tail. Uh-huh. So you know how most dogs wag their tail back and forth? Yeah. She doesn't wag like that. She first goes down into a stretch, the downward dog pose, and sticks mm. her little fluffy bum up in the air. And then she wags her tail in rotation. And so she looks like a little helicopter that's about to take <laughs> off and fly around the room. It's like a plane. so cute. I've never seen a dog that wags in a circle. <laughs> that's what I'm grateful for. That is wild. I know. I love it so much. But I can imagine so cute. What kind of dog is it? A cavoodle. A cavoodle. She's a little curly girl. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. so awesome. She's That's actually similar to my mum's dog. And it's just, is it, is the dog like, what's the temperament of the dog? Is it like. Oh, she's super, she's like, she just wants to be around me all the time. Just mm. wants to have her tummy rubbed. Mm. But if you're another dog, you're going to cop an earful from her. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, she's, she's protective. She's protective. Yeah, she's yeah, on yeah. the defense. Yeah, that's right. What are you grateful for? Fair enough. I am grateful. Yesterday, we had O Week at Newcastle Ooh. Uni, and I was there in attendance, meeting people and helping out the, the club that we've got on the university campus, ASOC. And yeah, just, you know, meeting people and saying, hey, do you want to do Bible studies or come to church or come to care? And people were like, yeah, I'd, Amen. Lo- I'd love to do that. So, praise God. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. But right now, we have come to the time where we are going to get into our first question for the quiz. Ooh. Very carefully spoken, Lawson. Yeah, I almost said clue, <laughs> and I saw your face, and I saw producer Shell's face, and I'm like, no, it's, they're not clues, they're questions, because we have a different quiz yeah. every single time. Yep, that's right, we sure do. I like how, um, this is like a, a testament to how, how difficult it is to break a habit. <laughs> okay, so our first quiz today goes like this. Complete the verse, faith without works is... Blankety blank. Blank. That's tough. That's mm. that's tough to not complete. And and if I feel like that, I feel like you know it. And if you do know it, 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text. And the uh, prize today, or the prize tomorrow. For this the big week. Prize. Yeah, that's right. Is, the, is one of the book called Exodus, Myth or History by David Roll. Mm. He's actually an Egyptologist and a historian, so very exciting. Yeah. I love a good Egyptologist. That's right. It's essentially just getting into all the known information that we have about the history of Egypt, the history of the Jews, the archaeology surrounding that area, and seeing whether the exodus, the exit of the Jews out of Egypt actually happened, which, mm. which is critically important for our understanding of the Bible because the first five books of the Bible was written by Moses, who was the guy who led them out of Egypt. Yeah, he was at the forefront of the Exodus. So we need to know, did it happen? And I believe the quest of this book is to show that it did. It'll be a great read. So it's fantastic stuff. Again, 0491-064669 was that question again. Complete the verse, faith, faith without works is... Blank. Blank. Okay. All right. What's happening in the world of positively good news? Oh, look, I'm going to hopefully put a little uh, silver lining on the cloud that is currently the rain that's just uh, Uh smashing down the east coast of Australia. Mm. That's flooding everything. If you haven't heard or if you've been, um, 
are living under a rock and your rock hasn't gotten soggy <laughs> somehow. <laughs> if your flooded. rock isn't flooded, yeah, yeah, yeah. If your rock hasn't been picked up and moved by <laughs> excess of waters. Nice. Yeah. This is some really cool news. So uh, it turns out, um, you know that smell of rain? Like you don't, when you go outside, you can smell it on the ground. It's called petrichor. Um, it turns out not only does it smell good, it's actually good for your health. Oh. This is like mind-blowing. Okay. Because you know how like um, people, <clears throat> you know, when they get close to like waterfalls and the negative ions in the air is good for your mood? Mm. So this is like in a similar vein. Um, so it turns out like all the oils and the chemicals are, are released by water. So when the rain hits it, it, uh, it releases that sort of rush of um, chemicals from the ground and from any sort of plant matter and even like stones and rocks and that kind of thing. And uh, and those chemicals, they get released into the air and you breathe them in like into your lungs, obviously, and then in, within minutes it's in your bloodstream. Um, so they've done some testing they've discovered that this petrichor smell that we enjoy so much is actually really good for our health. Um, they were just uh, inspired to de- uh, investigate this, the, the health benefits of the um, rain fragrances, after learning about forest bathing. Have you heard about mm. forest bathing? Forest bathing is like, it's an ancient practice. It's really big in Asia. Uh-huh. And basically, it's just spending time in nature. It's, it's, oh, it's, so bathing yourself with the mm-hmm. the atmosphere of yeah. the forest. I'm like, oh, is it like having shower in the bush? <laughs> having a shower in the bush? No, no, no. no okay, but spending yeah. time in Nature. Yeah, just it's just surrounding yourself by God's nature and mm. just um really absorbing, like just going there to with the intent of sitting there and relaxing in amongst the nature, not like just you know taking a Bluetooth speaker and blitzing through. So okay, so it's when the rain it splashes on the ground mm-hmm. and we smell it, and then that's good for us. Yeah. So if as I you're smelling sit it, like you're- in the shower. <laughs> Or beside a running no. tap. Mm, no. no Why not? Because the water is not necessarily the part that's doing you good. The part that's doing you good is the way the water is releasing the chemicals from the plant, the ground, the grass, ah, the sand, the dirt, okay. the rocks, the trees, the leaves. Mm-hmm. So it's all that. It's all like the, the it comes out in the oils that are on the um on the plants that all the ah, nature. Okay, and okay. the water releases that. That's why that's why it smells different. Like your shower doesn't smell like when you go outside after, after it rains. That's right? right. Well, I think yeah, you get like hit with the, when you've got like the smell of rain coming, which yeah. is like the kind of the negative ions. But then yeah, there's definitely that smell. Of Apparently, rain. that is also linked to it. So a lot of the petrichor starts to be released just as, like, even before it starts to rain, and then mm-hmm. it really hits when it starts to rain, and then of course afterwards as well. Sure. So sure. forest bra- forest bathing. We've spoken about forest bathing on on Faith FM before. I remember doing many segments about this. Mm. Um, you know, it, in, in that it helps to reduce stress and stress and improve overall well being, and how the, you know this is part of God's plan for optimal health for mm. us. Um, that's why He created nature, in my opinion, was you know for our benefit. Mm. And um, and so when they were when they discovered the benefits of forest bathing, they decided to dig a bit deeper and find out about the basically how good these fragrances are. And yet they discovered a whole bunch of different compounds. And um, I just I think this is so great because it's so free and accessible mm. to anyone. So the fragrant volatile organic compounds, uh, which is you know what you're actually sniffing in. Uh, can contribute to improving sleep patterns, stabilizing emotional hormones, enhancing digestion, heightening mental clarity, and reducing depression and anxiety. Isn't that incredible just from mm. going outside? And the cool thing is apparently different locations, different kind of smells. 
So you could go like out in the oh, bush, sure, or you can yeah. go like to like a rainforest, or out to the desert. Apparently, the desert has like a whole different range of um of these volatile plant compounds that you could smell from the rain. You can go to the beach. Yeah. So this is actually um they're actually recommending that people plant more plants in their garden. Basically, anywhere you could access a plant really and mm. have it sit out in the rain, and then when it gets rained on, go outside and hang out for a while and just be in the nature. Just just smell yeah. it up. This is another reason to have gardens. And apparently some of the best plants to um, to get this petrichor from is from fragrant plants. Mm. So, you know, don't always think to yourself, oh, if I have a garden, I'm going to have to, like, plant tomatoes and cucumbers and make them really useful. Mm. Plant some roses. Plant mm. some honeysuckle or some jasmine. Those are, those good-smelling good smelling plants and good-smelling rain is, um, yeah, really beneficial for your health. Another little segment for you here that I'm, wow. I'm actually really excited about this one, Lawson. Uh-huh. So it turns out... Reaching out to friends after a long time is more appreciated than you know. They've even researched it. Mm. Yeah, so apparently this is a bit of a problem post-COVID. A lot of people lost touch with each other post-COVID. <gasps> totally. Yeah, like a lot. Like people are slipping through the cracks left, right and centre. And they actually did a study to find out, you know, why people aren't reaching out and then also what the effects of reaching out has on the people who have mm. been reached out to. And it turns out people consistently underestimate how much others in their social circle might appreciate an unexpected phone call, a little text, or an email just to say hello. So mm. they 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 did a te- they did a, um, a study involving six thousand participants, and they had them um, contact people they'd lost touch with. And every single one of them thought that they would just be annoying to the other person they were reaching out to. Oh. And this is like, you see this in our culture today, like especially with the younger generations, you know, they hate having phone calls come through and they're like, oh, don't call me. Oh, who even reads emails these days? Mm. And so you almost feel like you are irritating someone when you give them a call. It turns out that's all nonsense. That's literally nonsense. So it turns out. 100% of the people who got a phone call or a text or an email from someone they hadn't heard before hugely appreciated it. So they did a scale and then they asked them, like, you know, you know, one to ten, how grateful for were, were they to have someone reach out to them? Um, you know, did they feel appreciated? Did they feel grateful? Did they feel thankful or pleased by the contact? And, like, 100% said yes, 10 out of 10. They loved it. Are you sure they weren't just being polite <laughs> because, like, the person reached out to them? And they're like, oh, yeah, 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 I guess I'm pretty appreciative. Well, how would you feel if you hadn't heard from someone in ages and you just got, like, a text or a phone call or an email saying, hey, Lawson, haven't spoken to you in, like, five years. How's it going? Like, just wanted to catch up with oh, you. Oh, yeah, of course I'd want that. That's so funny. Right, exactly. So, yeah, see? Yeah, uh, okay, yep. <laughs> my my anecdotal example. No, no, I, I agree with you. I I fully I fully see this one hundred percent. I think also the context of why they're reaching out is Im- important. You yeah. Know, if you were say someone's ex and you <laughs> called them up, or if you were like, there could be negative circumstances that caused the slipping through the cracks <laughs> that you know might n- necessarily mean that you're presence in someone's life someone's life isn't welcome yeah let's maybe versa. don't call your ex people um, <laughs> but this is this this study was focusing on the more like the impact of covid yeah, sure. pandemic with like the amount of remote workers um now instead of like in business business closures layoffs and international translocations mm. so i would recommend you maybe try combine the two catch up with someone out in nature after it's rained there mm. you go maximum health benefits for everyone 
You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. So good. Right now, we're going to have our next clue for the quiz. The, no, sorry, the next question <laughs> for the quiz. And what is it? Give it to us, Monica, please. It's another blankety-blank, fill-in-the-blank kind of thing. Okay. Jesus was crucified between two blank. Between two what? Oh. Mm. Jesus was crucified between two what? Okay, 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. And if you do, what can the people win, Monica? They can win a copy of Exodus, Myth or History by David Roll. Well, they go into a draw to win that. Mm. It's drawn tomorrow at the end of the week, so very exciting. So, yeah, get your answers in. Again, that number was 0491-064-669. Jesus was crucified between two what? Okay, so I'm gonna tell you a very interesting story. We, oui. uh, we, oui, we. Oui. <laughs> <laughs> Happy best of luck, everyone. Yeah, that's right. Je m'appelle Lawson. Je suis radio host. Well, faith of them. Uh, hey, good day to all our uh, French listeners, by the way, and yeah, happy Bastille Day. That's awesome. <laughs> hey, okay, so this story comes from South Africa, where there's this guy, and his name is Rian Swiegler. Okay, and Rian Swiegler is the co-founder and current high. Well, he was the high priest of the Satanic Church there. Wow. So. Like, it's a bit hectic. Yeah, he he is a legit Satanist with the face tattoos to match. Like, oh, okay, this yep. guy is like a real deal, shaved head, piercings, all this kind of thing. Um, but he was actually asked by a Christian radio station to come on and tell them why he is a Satanist. Kind of as like a, a you know, open the can of worms, have a debate type deal. Like, oh, hey, like, let's let's try and understand your perspective, that kind of thing. And he gets on and he shares his beliefs about, I, I'm, I'm, you know, pretty sure like he's atheistic Satanist. That's like 95% of Satanists are just atheists who like the aesthetic and like the idea of living for self. And so they put themselves under the banner of Satanism. He's sharing about how Jesus never existed. God isn't real. Uh, you know, the world comes from revolution. He, you know, he thinks organized religion is a plague to society. And that's very much what Satanism attempts to do. Just parody organized religion and like to make fun of it and just to, to prove to everyone how dumb it is and how wrong religion is. Now, he was then asked by the radio interviewer if he understood what unconditional love was. Because he was questioning, like, why would anyone take the step of believing, like, yes, I understand that uh, there are people who have, quote-unquote, reasons or evidence to believe in God, but why would you want to, even if he did exist? And, you know, in our interview coming up soon, we're going to be talking about reasons and evidence of believing in God. We're going to be talking about creation and, and whatnot. But he's saying, yes, I get that those people have those arguments, but why take the step of believing in God? And the interviewer responded and said, well, do you know what unconditional love is? Like, have you ever heard of unconditional love and the unconditional love of God? And he responds and he says, no, I've, I've never experienced unconditional love. There's no such thing as unconditional love. Oh. And this lady got up. This interviewer, mid-interview, got up from her chair, walked over to this guy, Rian, who's this scary Satanist guy, and just gave him a big hug and was like, I love you, brother, and I, I hope that you can find the Lord. 
and sat back down. Now, this completely shocked this guy. He was like, why would she do this to me? Like, is this some kind of publicity stunt? And it's like, well, it's not because this is just a small Christian radio station. Like, she has no reason to do this. She has no reason to like me or, you know, understand me. Yet she was willing to embrace me and and to love me and to invite me onto her show to hear my opinion. And and he's like, man, what what's the deal? And he started to consider like, well, maybe unconditional love does actually exist. And after reviewing, you know, looking into the Bible a little bit and and trying to, to wrap his head around this idea, he's like, wait, the reason Jesus died, because a lot of Satanists come from the perspective, perspective of like Jesus' death is so uncompelling and unnecessary. Like, it's a dumb way to save humanity. And I think it's because of the lack of understanding of what that sacrifice meant. But when he understood, like, oh, this is the grace of God that he would die for me, it completely changed his mind. And as a result, he is no longer the co- Well, he's the co-founder of the Satanic Church, but he's no longer the high priest of the Satanic Church. In fact, I went to his Facebook page where it says the former presiding reverend and high priest of the Satanic Church, he has converted and become a Christian. Oh, amen. He has given his heart and his life to God, and he wants to become a follower of Jesus. And Thanks just because I'm like, okay, I-, I was reading this article, right, that was about him and his conversion, and I'm like, okay, that's really cool, but has this translated into anything has this translated into some kind of tangible change you know because we can look at people of high profile which this guy kind of is being the leader of you know the satanic church of the entirety of south africa often people of high profile you know they they claim conversion but then we don't really see any tangible change. It, it can be difficult to see. And whereas this guy, like, straight up, just looking through his Facebook, it's full of, like, Bible quotes. It's full of him having interviews with people about how he converted and left Satanism behind. And also, like, that he, you know, on the 29th of May, uh, there's just, you know, the life events tab on Facebook where it's like, oh, this person got married, blah, blah, blah. It's like, left a job at the South African Satanic Church. Like, he is full, wow. like, that was his job like that's yeah. his income his livelihood he's just left all that behind and said no i don't want anything to do with that anymore i'm a follower of jesus praise the lord this and is such a good story so i like it's incredibly you know it, you can say it's heartwarming but it's it's beautiful to see someone who is so in deep against christianity to make that change you know a lot of people when we reflect on our journey it's like oh you know how anti-christian was i before i became a christian if if you weren't a christian and i know for myself i'm like oh no i wasn't anti-christian i just didn't know about god i didn't know about jesus like all that kind of stuff you know mm-hmm. i didn't have that experience and i converted whereas to see someone who is so anti-christian uh, to to change like this and, and the interesting thing is it's like oh but but he didn't previously believe that god is real and what it's a personal experience that now made him believe in god no this is a guy who has known and seen and reviewed all of the evidence that christians have put out there already and but then doesn't believe in it because well he didn't believe in it because he was a satanist like this is the thing i see so clearly is that for like lots of people who are honest with the information that we have they're like oh wow there is a very high plausibility and probability that there is a God. Like, very much so. And that's kind of where this guy was sitting, but he's like, oh, there's no way I'm going to believe in God because, you know, who even is he? Like, why would I want to follow him? No, but it's his personal experience of experiencing the love of Jesus 
that changed his life. And so I think for us, you know, oh, I guess it's encouraging for us sitting here as radio hosts. It's like, man, where's the local head of the satanic <laughs> church? We should get him on our radio station. No, but um, it, I think it gives us hope, all of us as Christians, because we can feel sometimes so unequipped to be able to answer the questions of people. Like we look at people and we're like, oh man, they're so smart. They're, 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 like, how do I, how do I show them that God exists? I'll say this. There are always going to be people around and there's the information and the truth is there to show that God exists like 100% and people who are seeking God will find it, but they need to have a reason. They need to have a reason. And that reason is our witness, the unconditional love that we can show people. Just like this radio host hugged this guy and it's like, wow, this is a actually, you know, outside of whether it's true or not, this is actually a compelling reason to follow God. We can give people those reasons by acting in that way, by essentially revealing Christ to them through our actions. That's also a testimony to never write anyone off. I totally. You think that like being like the leader of a satanic church, that person would be basically unreachable and yeah. yet... Nothing is outside the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, wow. So, so amazing. Such a story. Oh, man, I only have a minute left. I was going to talk about two other things. I might quickly talk about the Sri Lankan state of emergency that's just been pronounced. Yeah. The president has fled and the prime minister's office has been occupied by protesters. This is all over the current economic crisis that's taking place in Sri Lanka uh, over, you know, people just like not having money and, you know, COVID-19 and the pandemic and also change in a change in laws that happen in regards to farming just making it less viable and less profitable for your average working class farmer to be able to do that and it's like oh essentially they've seen it as the government is corrupt and stealing money from us and therefore we're going to occupy and i definitely see this as like you know this this overturn of the government that is trying to be forced here advanced <laughs> it's definitely destabilization and and um from this point forward i think we will see We'll see the outcome of this. Maybe a developed nation will sweep in and enforce peace, but uh, it's definitely something to follow. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Right now it is time for our next clue for the next question for the quiz, guys. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so, Monica, give it to us. Okay, this one's a bit of a mouthful, so stay with me here. Higion. I'm pretty sure I pronounced that correctly. Higion, yep. Uh, one time in the Bible, this word is physically used. It sits alone in its own sentence, not its own verse. Which book of the Bible is it in? Here's some more clues. Two other times it is used in the margin of this same book. Mm. The word is Higion, probably meaning a pause in the instrumental interlude for the purpose of meditation and consideration. Oh, so this is this is a kind of a musical word, yeah, essentially yeah, a musical directive. H i g g a i o n. It's used one time in the Bible. Tell mm. me what book it's in. Epic. Yeah, and give us a call zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Here again, tell me what book of the Bible is that found in? It's only in there one time. And if you answer that correctly, you will go into the draw to win our prize for this week, Exodus Myth or History, History or Myth. And if you get that correct, again, that number is 0491064669. But right now we have come to our interview of the day and we are going to be doing our interview with Don Batten from Creation Ministries International. Don, are you there with us? I am Lawson, yes. 
Oh, we are absolutely stoked to have you on the show this morning, getting into all things creation and looking at, you know, where did we come from? Yeah, I look forward to it. <laughs> the particular topic that we are going to be talking about today is the idea of what is called the, the waiting time problem. The waiting time problem, which, as I understand, is directly linked to and basically expressing the actual lack of time that we have in the evolutionary model for the changes that they claim to have happened to, you know, DNA to actually take place. That's right. Yeah, it's not. It's not waiting for a bus. That can be a waiting time problem. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's not uh, developing patience. That, that's uh, maybe a waiting time problem. But, that's right. Uh, but uh, no, we are talking about yeah, how it is that DNA actually develops and changes and mutates. That's right. Yeah, it's uh, how long you have to wait to get uh, the mutations and evolution needs to actually work its miracles that they claim. You know the change an ape-like creature into a human, for example. Mm. So I, I would like, to, if, we're, if we're dealing with this problem, it would probably be good to first understand the argument that they come with or that their, their understanding or their rationale of how it actually is that these changes take place. So, so what are they claiming is going to happen to DNA that changes someone from an ape to a human within a certain period of time? Yeah, well, the only the only game they have is mutation and natural selection. So natural selection just uh, it's survival of the fittest type of idea that uh, the people, uh, for example, or animals with uh, features that help them have more offspring, more children. Mm-hmm. They leave more children behind. It means they leave their genes behind, which mm-hmm. means that they those genes permeate through the population. Uh-huh. Um, you know, like Genghis Khan apparently had hundreds of kids for different wives, and mm. a lot of his genes are in the world's population today because he was a successful evolutionary speaking. He was very successful because he had lots of kids. Mm. Um, so uh, the mutation, though, is the only method they have, the only mechanism they have for changing the DNA. So if you're going to change a chimp or a chimp-like creature into a human, you have to change the DNA. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, the first question, of course, is how much do you have to change the DNA? And there's a lot of uh, nonsense out there that we're only 1% different to chimps and therefore there's not much of a change required. But 1% difference is a huge difference. Mm. You know, we have 3,000 million chemical letters on our DNA, which means that a 1% difference is 30 million letters. Oh, wow. So that's a lot of information that has to be generated by what are accidental changes in the DNA information. So these mutations, they happen, an accidental change. So uh, one letter changes to a different letter. It's, it's miscopied or whatever. And uh, so the next generation has this change in the DNA. Mm-hmm. And those changes, those accidental changes, are, are, have to be beneficial enough that the natural selection sees them. In other words, they get passed on to the next generation. Um, and then they have, to be, they have to permeate through the population uh, if you have, say, 10,000 breeding people uh, in a population, uh-huh. uh, one person gets a mutation, uh, that mutation then has to get together other mutations to make up the 30 million letters. If it was only 1% difference, uh, it has to make up the 30 million letters that make, it, make the difference between chimps and humans. Mm-hmm. And so um, today we know enough about this to be able to uh, do the calculations, and you can do it with a computer program, 
There's one called Mendel's Accountant, uh, which was actually developed by uh, creationist scientists, but it's out there in the secular literature, and people use it to uh, model evolution. And uh, using all the best assumptions that make evolution even possible, Mendel's Accountant shows that to get two letters lined up, just two, two letters lined up in a population of humans would take uh, uh, 84 million years. 84 million years just to get two letters lined up, and yet we're supposed to change from a chimp-like creature into a human in 7 million years. And so uh, even if it was only 1% difference, the evolution doesn't work. It just can't work. It's impossible. So, but you know the difference. The difference is huge, though. It's not. It's not one percent. The, the difference is more like fifteen percent or more, and that's four hundred and fifty million chemical letters in the DNA. They need to and be changed. Need wow. to be changed. Yeah, and yet, and it too takes eighty-four million years. If you want to get five, it takes two billion years. Mm. <laughs> it's five letters. So, so the current, no, it's impossible. Evolution is impossible. Yeah, the the current explanation for this of of how you know this genetic mutation could occur from a, a secular evolutionary perspective is they appeal to deep time, and that's where you know we get the number that the you know the world is four point five billion years old, and that humans have existed, uh, or animals and uh, nature has existed in a time. Um, within that, but ultimately, yeah. what we see is that you know because they're pushing the out of limits, uh, out of limits of what we can assume about how old the world is. But the time that they're claiming to be deep, which already pushes of the assumption of like, oh, well, can the world really be that old? Ultimately, it's not deep enough. That's correct. Even with all that time, there's not enough time. <laughs> wow. Now I. I was just having a look here. It says, you know, that 450 million letters need to be changed of that 15%, um, which would then, like, date the age of evolution taking place between, you know, humans and chimpanzees. It would take billions of years. Well, well probably trillions of years if you did 450 million, uh, just because just five takes two billion years. Wow. Uh, just five letters. So. And the already assumed age of the Earth is around 14, uh, not of the Earth, of the universe is around 14 billion years. So so we're talking about like the ability for a, ch- a human to change from a chimpanzee to a human takes almost well, around trillions of years, but that's not even within the scope of how old the universe is. That's correct, yeah. That's right. That is incredible. <laughs> you know, that very much relates to, we were talking about the James Webb telescope earlier in the week and how they're viewing universes and galaxies that are 13 billion light years away uh, that apparently, you know, uh, the the current estimation and model when the Big Bang happened was like 13 billion years ago, yet we have fully formed galaxies 13 billion light years away. And it's like, wow, you know, the time that they've said is like that, you know, they've they've gone against the Bible by saying, oh, there's there has to be such deep time for this to happen. But then we just find evidence that even goes against the deep time that we understand. Like, ultimately, it doesn't really leave a leg to stand on. There's really no mechanism or no explanation that they have for how it is that we have all the species in our world outside of creationism. 
That's right. That's right. They're, they're, the only way you can get a human is, is that God created us. Like the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 26, 27, in the beginning, that God made us male and female. Male and female, he created them. And, uh, and that, uh, the, 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 if everything points to a super intelligent creator who made us, you know, we're not an accident of natural processes over millions of years. Um, the millions of years are a myth, but, uh, but even with the millions of years, like the evolution doesn't work anyway. So, um, and yeah, that means that there were never any ape men. You know, the, 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 you see every, it seems like every few weeks there's another ape man that's, paraded by the media. Yeah. Uh, but to these eight men, when you look at them, none of them stack up. Uh, none of them are, are real eight men. Mm. Uh, they're straps and bits and bones that they make stories out of. But, <laughs> but the genetics, the real science, shows us that it's impossible that an ape-like creature could change into a human. And that means that all the other uh, organisms, uh, like with a long generation time and complex genome, you know, with lots of letters on the genome, None of them could evolve. You know, you can't change a, a cow into a whale either, mm. even with 40 million years. You know, these these sorts of claims are just, they're, they're quite preposterous in the light of modern science. Wow, it's so interesting because we're talking about like literally trillions of years that it would take for an ape to become a human. But if we take a step back, then it's like, okay, what, well, where did the ape come from? You know, the, and where did that fish come from and where you know That's if we right. go, go all the way back then we're literally talking about an uncountable number of years that it would take for a single-celled organism to develop into a human that yeah. is, is impossible yeah. to account for even within the evolutionary model even with the deepest time estimates that we have exactly right exactly right so wow. if li- listeners want a, an article about this you go to creation.com and just type in uh, in the search box, uh, waiting time, uh, you'll find the, uh, just a, an article there that explains this. And, uh, and there's also a reference to the secular, uh, journal article if you want the details, uh, there. Um, I'd like to ask actually on that point, you know, it, this seems like a pretty sturdy and pretty solid argument. How is this affecting, uh, evolutionary literature and ev- evolutionary scientists like are they acknowledging you know this this argument are they acknowledging these facts well some are um just but but you don't expect to find it in school textbooks ah. mm-hmm. <laughs> or university textbooks for that matter uh they'll just put it on the shelf and say oh well we'll, we'll work it out someday how mm-hmm. you know blah 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 now this this problem been around for a long time it used yes. to it was called uh uh, Haldane's dilemma. So Haldane was a high-profile evolutionist uh, many decades ago, and uh, he recognised this problem that the amount of time there's not enough time, even with millions of years, uh, for the evolution of a human, and uh, and and other similar organisms uh, in terms of complexity and generation time and things. And and he acknowledged this back then. Haldane's dilemma, it was called. But nowadays we can model it with computer models and. And a number of different scientists and research groups have actually done this modelling, come up with slightly different results, but they're, they're all uh, showing that it's just impossible. Uh, and this is not something that the evolutionary establishment can, can acknowledge publicly because it gives the game away. There's just no, there's no room for evolutionary thinking, whatever. They've got to rewrite all the textbooks. They've got to get rid of it out of the school, school courses and university courses. And, of course, uh, this is a justification for secularism and, and getting rid of God. 
Mm. So they're not going to get let go of it. Uh, they're not going to adopt it and take it on board. Mm. Uh, they're going to fight against it. Mm. But uh, they, they haven't got much room to move. I mean, you can fiddle around with the, the values that are put into the models and things, but uh, you don't get any, uh, you know, you have to have many orders of magnitude change in the results to even get start to get near what they need. You know, it's just so far off mm. that um, they're going to ignore it rather than try and deal with it. Mm. I want to have an ask because for me, just thinking now, I'm like, okay, the thing that is really compelling about um, this, you know, the waiting time problem is the idea that two numerical, like the uh, two letters, it takes 84 million years to change. Like now 84 million years to change. I don't think that's something that can be observable. Like have we ever seen two letters in within a genome change? Well, it's not so much change, um, but the right sort of change. You see, um, uh, when we have children, uh, those children have something like a hundred new mutations uh-huh. uh, that that we don't have, and like their parents don't have. So, um, so, and this is another problem for the evolutionary story because these mutations are they're like rust on a car. They don't necessarily kill you, mm. uh, but uh, every little rust spot adds up to a deterioration. Mm. So the human genome is deteriorating relentlessly over time. Mm. So not only are we not running this upward progression uh, from simple to complex, yes. we're actually going in the wrong direction. We're going downwards. And this is another problem that we could talk about. Oh, yeah. Your, I, I believe it's called error know. catastrophe. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Error catastrophe. That's right. So, And one evolutionary uh, geneticist said, you know, why aren't we... Why aren't we dead a hundred times over? Mm. Why are we still? How come we're here, still here? Because he's thinking in terms of millions of years. Mm. That people have been around. Humans have been around for millions of years. Why aren't we dead a hundred times over? Because these uh, mutations are destroying us. They're not creating us. Just like if you think about accidentally you're typing on your computer and you hit the wrong key, mm. you don't get new information. You destroy the existing information you're mm. trying to type into your computer, mm. and that's what mutations do. They're destroying us, and oh. so. Um, so the models actually assume that there are these beneficial mutations and that they have to actually make assumptions that don't allow for genetic uh, entropy or genetic you know, error catastrophe. They have to make assumptions that don't let that happen uh-huh. to even get the models to run. And even then it takes 84 million years to get two letters lined up. Wow. And so we talked about two specific letters and it's just what you need to get a new gene or a new protein uh, a, a new gene in the in the system, and we have genes that chimps don't have, and they have genes we we don't have. Mm. Um, and these new genes have to be generated with specific letters. You can't just have any old letter; it has to be specific letters. And consequently, this is where the idea comes from. You need these specific letters, not just any old change, mm. but specific letters. And the specific letters have to come together uh, because if you get a the active active uh, uh, region of a of an enzyme that has to have a specific sequence of letters for it to work, mm. um, and so this is what this is modelling. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, it, it's a huge problem for the evolutionary story. Mm. Don, thank you so much for joining us on the radio this morning. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at one eight hundred Faith FM.